This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. CLC, how you guys doing? Awesome. So good to see you guys, be with you guys. My wife and I, she came to me, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and we saw that you guys were going to be having storms. And so we even got that travel alert thing on our little app for American Airlines. We're like, oh my God, do we try to fly in early? What's going on? Or is it going to be, I just prayed and I thought, you know what? We got an assignment at this house. This is a hungry group of people. Lord, you will stop a storm to let some disciples get to the other side. Isn't that right? So uh, we're just so blessed to be with you. We just want to express, number one, our appreciation for your pastors. Pastors Tom and Candy, they are the real deal. Yes. Some people, and I love this, we're living in a day right now where some people, they kind of add titles to their name where they're not really walking out the unction and anointing of that title. You truly have apostolic leaders. They could call themselves apostles because by definition of that, they walk in it. And when you have leaders that are integrous, leaders that are personable, leaders that are prophetic, and leaders that are passionate for the city that they're serving in, the people, you thank God for that, you pray for them, you make their job easier, because I've noticed not everybody has pastors like you guys pastors. So we're so grateful, Pastor Tom. Thanks so much for having us. Your amazing team and staff, awesome. I don't know if y'all heard it. We had a powerful service, first service. Anybody talk to anybody? Come on, we had a powerful service, but we believe that God is able to do it again. And so we're glad to be with you. I am so blessed like to have my wife, Krista. She is amazing. You do not want to miss tonight at 6 o'clock. She's bringing a powerful new word. And uh, we're going to pray for people for the Baptist Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for healing. We're going to pray for signs and wonders. And just believe for God to show up, show up, just do what he does. And so I, I tell people, I'm hyper, but I'm not hype. In other words, I don't never have to hype Jesus because he's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I'm energetic because when the Holy Ghost and anointing comes on me, I just get that kind of energy. And uh, like everybody, I, I just want to tell you, I gave my life to Jesus Christ on a college campus. And, and that was like unbelievable because the very next day I was going to kill myself. True story. Uh, and... I, I said I was going to do three things. Number one, I was going to party like I never partied before, which I did that, check. Number two, my grandmother from Dumas, Arkansas, Southern black grandmother had gone to a little small Pentecostal holiness storefront church. She got delivered of four decades of alcoholism in one fell swoop. Grandma didn't need to take 12 steps. Grandma needed to take one to Jesus. He set her free. I promised my grandma before she died, she said, baby, I want you to promise me one thing. One day you're going to find out you cannot do this thing called life all on your own. Promise me you will call on the name of Jesus. And I, I, I nodded my head and like she been to, she went to be with Jesus. And I know like if I don't honor her, my grandma might pick up a calcified biscuit from glory and throw it. And it just hit me in the head like Thor's hammer, Uramil. And I'm going to, you know, whatever his hammer is called. I better honor my, so I parted like I never parted before. I called on her Jesus. And then number three, I was going to kill myself. And no one would have understood. It was, it's stupid. It's never, it, it was, it didn't make any sense. Then it doesn't make especially no sense now, but sometimes we don't know 
how much the enemy can work overtime to get people to hit the rock bottom. Sometimes you don't know the life or death moment you've inherited when you're standing in front of people. And I never take that for granted. I called on Jesus, and I, I, I didn't mean to bust out my entire testimony, but in between one and three, I called on the name of Jesus. Jesus shows up. I see Jesus like I see you. No exaggeration. I, I would not, I'm a, I, I believe integ integrity is huge value in the kingdom. I wouldn't tell you that if it wouldn't happen. I saw Jesus like I saw you. I saw this flame with corporeality, meaning he had arms and legs. John, who said his eyes are like lightning, his face is like the sun shining, was very accurate. I hear the audible voice of God. He says, I'll be a father to fatherless. If you ever seen that other, you know, Tom Cruise movie, Jerry Maguire, or the classic line, you had me at hello, Jesus had me at I'll be a father to the fatherless, because my dad was murdered when I was nine. In that moment, man, my life so dramatically changed, and this is simply an outgrowth of what Jesus, I didn't have an intention to go into ministry. I had a, I have a degree in computer engineering, but Jesus so rocked my life. There was nothing else I wanted to do, but to do what I'm doing now. So I just want you to know, uh, Jesus changed me. And so I've got big time faith that he will continually do that miracle. And so awesome, awesome, awesome. We got some product out there real quick. My wife had a brand new book, uh, singled out in a couple's world, but it is profound in many, many areas. Number one, I told first service, uh, this isn't a Christian mingle.com book. This isn't like whatever that is and swipe it left. No, this is about God's purpose for your singlehood season, your single season of singlehoodness. Uh, this is about not just looking for Mr. or Mrs. Right, but how to become the right person. And that God does not put your calling on hold waiting for your relational status to change. She talks about just principles that God did in her life as well as singleness is a metaphor for whatever it is you have to wait and trust God for. So yours may not be singleness. It may be something else that you're trusting and waiting. So she has a good book on that. I've rewritten a book real quickly, Prophetic Evangelism. It is how to become the voice of God in the marketplace. I believe they're going to be, there's going to be a third great awakening in North America. I believe a record number of people are going to give their life to Christ. I believe you and I are going to live to see a signs and wonders era that will literally be even greater than what they saw in the late 1940s and 1950s underneath tents with Oral Roberts and those different guys. And this is a book to get you ready. How many of you want to hear the voice of God better than you hear the voice of God? Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to give this away, and it looks like you'd be a great catch. So right there in the fourth row. Oh, see, I called it. I said he'd be. Look at that catch right there. And we've got a, a whole jump drive, 24 hours of teaching of how to hear the voice of God. It's called our Prophetic School of Activation. We've got a book and a video on there as well. All right, I'm going to preach a different message in uh, the morning service, if that's okay. But I believe that this follows on the heels of that message. You may want to go back and see the other one. All right. Thanks, bro. You're amazing. John chapter two, verse one, John chapter two, verse one says on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and the disciples were gathered or invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, so I say, uh Oh, we'll talk about it. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Woo. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, I'll, I'll explain that. That's not like today. If you look at your mama, say woman, that's a whole different thing. 
today, but in that time, that was actually a, 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 a reference, reference that had a deference to her, his mother. And he says, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to him, fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to him, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine when the guests of well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. I had mentioned my grandmother. My grandmother's from Dumas, Arkansas, deep south. There are several things that have impacted my life. I shared with you a couple of them already. Number one, my salvation. Jesus has deeply impacted. He's transformed my life. Words can't even do justice. Second of all, I mentioned my wife, Krista. She has absolutely impacted my life as well as our kids. Another thing that has impacted my life was my grandmother's peach cobbler, okay? Now, you're not even ready for this. Now, y'all not even ready for this because you probably ate peach cobbler at the little cafeteria down there, the little restaurant down there. No, 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 no. I'm talking about my grandma made every aspect of her peach cobbler from scratch. I'm not talking about she got canned peaches and got the ready-made little, you know, like pie crust and threw it in there and called it peach cobbler. That's not peach cobbler. That's peach pie. And it's, it's processed peach pie. My grandmother would make it. She would use confection sugar. She would strip down. She would melt her own. It, it was crushed. The, it was amazing. Like, it, and, and here's the tragedy of it all. Tragedy of it all is I grew up, we grew up inner city, Oakland, California. I grew up in a tenement apartment section uh, my dad was not in the picture, then he was in the picture, and then he was murdered. And my mom was working whatever job she could get. My grandmother literally moves by way of Dumas, Arkansas, and then from Battle Creek, Michigan to California, so she could be kind of mom to me as my, my mom was kind of working jobs, being kind of dad, at least in that era. That was kind of how I was looked at. And so we didn't have a lot of money. And, and as a result of that, a lot of times the food I wanted to eat I don't know if y'all old enough to remember when they had generic bread. It wasn't Wonder Bread. It wasn't Wheat Bread. It just was a white package with black block letters, bread. That was generic bread, right? I don't know if y'all remember the government would give out cheese. I don't, y'all don't know nothing about that, right? They give out Velveeta cheese, something like Velveeta cheese, close to Velveeta cheese. And, 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 but let me just tell you what, it would make some of the best grilled cheese sandwiches ever. Like it was hard to cut it. Like you take the knife and but if you could ever cut that stuff and melt it on some toes, oh my goodness. <laughs> but my grandmother, every now and then, I would, you know, if I came from school in a proper time, and my grandmother, she would have cooked something. She said, baby, sit down. I would sit down and uh, she, I'd have a fork. Like there was no knife or spoon. Everything was eaten with a fork in my, my apartment. And I would eat whatever meal she said. And then Sometimes she would say the phrase, she would say, baby, keep your fork. 
Now, I got to explain something because I just left you hanging. You didn't know where I was going with that. Keep your fork meant she made dessert, which she knew my favorite was peach cobbler. When she said, keep your fork, oh my God, it was euphoric. I mean, I was floating in the air. I was ready to run around the room. I got happy because I didn't get this delicacy very often. Now, if she didn't say, keep your fork, I knew what it was. My grandma expected me. I, I wouldn't like... I was old school in the sense that you had to clean my own dishes, right? Like, like it wasn't no, like you, you leave everything there and mom's got to clean everything off the table. I'm taking my stuff to the sink. I'm washing my own dishes and everything. So I knew that if she doesn't say, keep your fork, it meant I had to drop the fork in the sink. Now, why is this important? I feel like in this season that some of us have felt like we've already ate the best we're going to eat, that we've already seen the best moves of God, that North America and the nations of the world is going downhill, is getting worse, people are getting crazy, we're further and further from a move of God, there's another generation that is least less church than the generation before that generation, and then, as Pastor said, there's an, a reason why many people are watching online, but there's some folks that they were at church and they just quit coming to church because of the virus bug. And now that the virus bug is lifted, they're used to sitting on their couch, drinking a latte, watching church. And, and again, if you've got a health concern or you got a job and something's keeping you away, I get it. But it's funny to folks that can make it back to Home Depot, make it back to Walmart, make it back to Target, but you can't make it back to church. Come on. I like my chances in this aisle than aisle 12 at Home Depot. I think I might get healed here. I think Jesus may fall on me here. And I, I'm telling you right now, God isn't on a throne with a mask on. I know we may be wear masks. He's not keeping Angel Michael and Angel Gabriel six feet social distance. How many of you know he's bigger than a virus? Come on, somebody. But as a result of the pandemic, as a result of civil tensions, now as a result of the price of gas and inflation and what's going on across the nations of the world, some people have the mentality like we've already experienced the best. Like grandmama and them saw the best that you'll see in a nation. They say this generation right now currently that have come up is the first generation in North American history that whose standard of living and income will probably be less in terms of the buying power than the generation before them. They quiz the current generation. 63% of the emerging generation believe that they will have an inferior life to what their parents have and they believe the best has already come. I feel like the Holy Ghost is trying to tell the North American church, save or keep your fork because I'm about to bring the best dessert ever. The best is yet to come. Come on, touch somebody and say the best is yet to come. Touch somebody. Now, here is this passage we read it, and I, I just want to say this. I believe that there is a spirit in our nation that tries to give believers believers false hopelessness and unbelievers false hope. Let me say that again one more time. I believe there's a spirit in the land that tries to give believers false hopelessness. In other words, there's a spirit that wants to make you believe it's hopeless. But come on, if you know Jesus, there's always hope. Come on, somebody. You say we're away from God. So was every season of revival before revival broke out. Revival never came when we took the moral high ground. Everything was peace 
fruitful, everything was plentiful, everything was, was like, like provided for, revivals came because people got desperate. Pentecost was a bunch of folks in the upper room a little bit nervous that they had lost Jesus and wondering how they're going to carry this thing out. But the power of the Holy Ghost made them more than ready for the task. I believe that we're looking at a world today, and I'm thinking of all of the mass shootings. You know, they define a mass shooting as four people dead, not counting the person who's the perpetrator. So if more than four people are end up murdered, and I'm just thinking that we're on a record pace, even over Memorial Weekend, and obviously we're, we're conscious of what happened in Uve, Texas, and I'm looking at that kind of evil, and I think in the back of our minds, some if we're not careful, what happens is we're putting our fork in the sink. We're kind of thinking the best thing we could do is just kind of stay safe, just kind of make it till Jesus comes back or till the rapture or we die. And I'm telling you, no, God's got so much more on the menu than us just trying to make it. I, I want to have such the type of Holy Ghost Christianity where I'm not trying to make it, right? I want the devil to believe, could he just make it? He's just trying to survive, but we're going to thrive in this season, and I want to build a case as to why. John chapter 2 is a chapter where it's talk, John talks about, and he speaks of seven signs of Jesus, and he speaks of the first sign, and I believe that the first sign that Jesus gave us in his earthly ministry may, may be a sign of the last move before Jesus returns. I have a sneaking suspicion. But it's funny, in this chapter, he makes wine, then he makes a whip. I believe that he goes from flipping the flow where there was a lack of wine. He flipped the flow, then he flipped tables, but maybe he's going to flip this miracle. I feel like we're in a season well, the Lord has made the whip, but now he's about to make the wine. Let me explain this to you. When I talk about making the whip, I, I, I mentioned first service that sometimes you have to have a rude awakening before you have a great awakening. Now, when I think about making a whip, what did he make a whip for? If you read it, he made a whip and he whipped money changers out of the temple. He flipped uh, tables. I kind of feel like this past season of COVID, God, obviously there was a, a, a disease running around. You're well aware of that. Hello. But I feel like God has gone through the church and he's purified the church. When I think of him making a whip, I think he makes the whip to stop religious violations. He makes wine to release a corporate celebration. I didn't preach that well enough. I need to come back one more time. I worked on that line. I was hoping I'd get a little bit more of an amen. Maybe the speakers went out and the sound just didn't. He made a whip to stop religious violations, he made wine to start corporate celebration. Now, I borrowed this phrase. I've used this phrase because I've heard it so many times. And the phrase is, I just want to get back to normal. I think last time I was with you, I talked a little about this. I feel like one of the worst things that we could say as a church is that we want to get back to normal as if back to normal is the way we did church pre-March 17th, 2020. I think God is bringing us to a place he doesn't want us to go back from. I believe that this uh, pandemic is a portal, if you will. Y'all in Florida, let me describe it this way. I believe this pandemic, God didn't send it, but he can use every season. I believe it's a fast track. Come on, y'all ever been to Disney World? Y'all can get a fast track. You don't have to wait in the three-hour line to get on Indiana Jones' ride. You can walk up, and maybe it takes three minutes, right? You got a fast track. 
I feel like we have prayed for God to wake up the church. We've prayed for God to answer the evil of a generation. We've asked God to begin to get the attention of folks that need God who have walked away from God. I believe God took all those prayers and has answered it in this season. Why? Because I've never been at a point in my three and a half decades of, of ministry, I've never seen a place where I've seen the church as hungry as she is right now and the world as desperate as they are right now intersecting in history. Let me say something. Whenever this has happened in history, you have had revival and awakening at the same time. What I'm telling you is this. Outpourings of the Holy Ghost happen exactly at times like this. Outpourings of the Holy Ghost are most likely when they're least likely. That God pours out his spirit in Pentecost. Sometimes I think we forget Jesus, the Bible says, he appeared to several hundred people, maybe as many as 500 people. What happened to the other 380, right, by the time Pentecost happened, right, that, 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 literally 120 in the upper room. I don't know what happened to the other 380, but it lets me know that the longer it went on, the more likely it was for some people to dip. But you got to keep your fork. You dip because you think, man, it is getting longer. It's getting taken a little longer than I thought it was. I don't feel like I can wait this out. This thing isn't good. This, oh man, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm gone. And all of a sudden you, you leave. In the late 19, I believe it would be 1948, 1949, there were two Scottish sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. They were octogenarian, meaning they were 80-something years of age. One of them was doubled over with back arthritis. The other one was blind. They were in Scotland, a series of islands off Scotland called the Hebrides. They didn't have any youth in their church. And all of a sudden, these ladies are 80 years of age. They're shut-ins. I didn't mention that. So they're not going to church, and they don't have online capabilities back then. So they're just praying for the church. They had been a part of the church. Pastor would come by and visit them. And these ladies were praying because why? They didn't take the fork and the plate to the sink. They kept their plate, kept their fork because they're believing that the best is yet to come. As they were praying, God spoke to them that they were supposed to talk to their pastor. And, and, and we just saw this picture that pastor, you're supposed to invite this evangelist, Duncan Campbell. So they invited this pastor. Long story short, this, this evangelist came, Duncan Campbell. He preached there, there was hardly nobody there. The service was so dead that literally Duncan Campbell in his own words was discouraged until one of the, the leaders of the church, layman, came up and said, hey, brother, God is going to move. We've been praying. And then after the meeting broke, three young people went over and began to pray in a chapel. And as they began to pray, the power of God fell, fell so strong. There was a hundred young adults down the street. We'll just modernize it. They was at the club. Come on, somebody. They was at the club getting it all right. Power of God fell. The DJ and the dance team all, come on, all the soul train dancers came under conviction. They stopped the party. They left walking towards this church. By the time they hit like a block or two from the church, they say there were hundreds of people laid prostrate on their face because the power of God was falling in a community. And man, literally within days, buses were showing up. It got to the point where they say you would walk past people's houses and they were either thank, they were either praying 
uh, for more revival in their family, thanking God for revival in their family or in revival in their family to the point where unbelievers were quoted as saying, we better leave this place or else we will end up as one of these. In other words, the revival made um, unbelief an endangered species. How does it happen? Because two ladies got desperate and their normal wasn't what they were seeing at church. Can I just say something? I think God's normal looks different than our normal. I think we come to church, we sit down in a pew, stand up, put a buck in a plate. We have a good moment at the altar. We kiss God and we walk back out and we're good until next Sunday. Let me tell you what, God's normal looks a whole lot different than that. God's got a whole lot more. Somewhere along the line, there's somebody that's saying, I still got a fork. In fact, I got a fork and a shovel. I'm not here to eat. I'm, I'm not just here to eat. I'm here to dig some wells because God wants to pour out some more that I'm not just going to get fed. I want others to get fed. Here is the Lord, and here's what I believe God's doing. I'm convinced that if we, first of all, God is leveling up his people right now. God's stirring up his people. There's a stirring that's been take place. But, uh, let me say this. Be careful how you define normal Christianity, right? Be careful how you, some people, it's just a program. It's just getting people in and out, filling a parking lot, emptying a parking lot, filling a parking lot, 23-minute servants, making 23-minute Christians, and that's the extent of Christianity. No, no, no. God's got so much more for us than that. And revival, God gives us a glimpse of normal. But let, let me tell you, why is the definition, why are you going after the definition of normal, Sean? Let me tell you why. Because your definition of normal determines the demonstration of Christianity you're aiming for. Let me say that again. Only one sister got that right in the middle. Let me say it one more time. Your definition of normal determines the demonstration of Christianity you're aiming for. So if it's just a nice little service and that's your normal, then that's what you're aiming for. But if you're saying, God, I want you to pour out your spirit. I want to see people healed in our services, healed. I want to see people saved. I want to see people baptized in the Holy Ghost. I want to see devils cast out. I want to see, man, a book of Acts. Come on. If there was ever a time for the 21st century church to pick up where the first century church left off, it's right now. When the devil's doing what he's doing out there, we got to know God does not and will not be outdone by what the devil does in any generation. And if he's taking out kids like he is right now, we got to know God's got a purpose and a plan and he wants to use you. And so I think what's happened is the devil has purposely given us a counterfeit at a time when God wants to give us an authentic is that I feel like there's so many people that are settling for former Christianity when you can have the absolute power of God, that you can have intimacy with God. You can feel God's presence. You can have transformation. It's not enough to be tickled. I want to be transformed. There's certain people, they want to be tickled. Their ears tickled by the right message they want to hear to make them feel good. No, I want to be transformed not by a feel-good service, but by a feel-God service because I walk out of here changed. Come on, somebody. Oh, my God. Yes, Lord. Whoo. What is God doing? And what is, this is what I feel like he's doing on Pentecost Sunday. God is warring to restore firepower to the movement that began at Azusa Street Mission. I talked to some people and they, they're, they're, they're beneficiaries as we are of being a, a church that believes in the power of the Holy Ghost. We believe in the full gospel. We believe if Jesus did it once, he'll do it again. The same Jesus that walked the dusty streets of Jerusalem, the same Holy Ghost that fell in the book of Acts is the same Jesus and Holy Ghost that's ready to move. So I wondered in some way, right? 
have we watered down our Christianity when in fact we're releasing water when what we should be doing is releasing wine and kind of the title of this message, you cannot bring that water to a wine moment. We're in a wine moment right now. Wine, obviously, if you don't know, it's a metaphor for, and particularly new wine, for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The wine represents the joy that the Holy Spirit brings, and I believe there's a joy. The wine represents when the wine is flowing, people are gathered, and there's a celebratory mood that there's a, a movement. The wine of the Spirit represents the grapes of God that have been crushed and become this new wine. And this is the thing that the Lord, I believe, is wanting to do. And the world is thirsty for this. Now, I'm kind of jesting and I'm kind of not. How many of y'all, like, let me just say this. Weddings are expensive. How many of you know weddings are expensive? I mean, that's probably one of the most expensive things you'll do outside of pay for your house. Some people's weddings is more than my car. Come on, somebody. How many of you know? I don't know if you've ever seen where people spend on weddings. And, and I was thinking about this whole wedding things because getting married on a limited budget isn't easy. My wife and I, I hope it's okay. I didn't even ask my wife permission. We got married on somewhat of a limited budget. When we start checking out venues and how much venues was going to cost and all this other stuff, how many of you know you originally set your sights on this big lavish thing because you think you're going to do a Kim and Kanye kind of wedding like that? But come on, somebody, you come and find out you don't know Kim and Kanye budget. So you got you to gotta make it work with what you got, right? And so when we got married, we practically had to stop and cash our wedding reception checks just to pay for the bill for our honeymoon. No, I'm kidding. I'm kind of kidding on that one. All right, all right. Sometimes it's not easy, and maybe it wasn't easy for some of you. But you know what? I realized it wasn't easy for the unnamed couple that got married at Cana, which was the sign of Jesus' first miracle, the sign of his ministry, is he turned water to wine. Now, let me just give you the backdrop of that. In those days when a wedding was, was put on, scholars tell us that everyone in the community was invited. Now we, and, and now you can see how it got more expensive. Like we're going to invite our close family members and usually your budget dictates to you how many people you're going to be feeding at your reception. So like all of that is taken in consideration. Well then, right, people would invite anyone. If you kind of knew somebody and you're in a community, you were invited to the wedding. And so they say many times the whole town would attend a wedding and it was considered an insult to refuse an invitation. So if the invitation went out now today, you go, oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to make it. I got this going on. No, no, no. It was an insult. So you just showed up. So all of a sudden we know this, Jesus's mother Mary is invited. And then later on the line, Jesus and five disciples, including a guy that literally verses earlier, just in the earlier chapter, Nathaniel, he's got five guys that are following him. So Jesus and his disciples show up. And it was says, when Jesus and the disciples showed up, they ran out of wine. Huh? That's interesting, right? These five dudes, they still getting sanctified, right? Them dudes must have been drinking a lot of wine for them five dudes to come in. But I think the truth of the matter is, is that one reason or another, he didn't plan perhaps, because let me say this, it was the bridegroom. So like in our kind of traditions, the parents of the bride pay for the wedding. In Jesus's day, it was the bridegroom as part of a dowry, I guess you would say, of how he was proving his worth to, to receive the daughter or whoever it was he was trying to impress. And so 
it was not just, oh, you ran out of wine. Okay, let's send Uncle Joe down to get go and get some more Coca-Cola. No, no, no. Like, you ran out of wine. This wasn't just like, oops, I'm sorry, y'all have to drink lemonade. It was an embarrassment. It was something people would talk about forever. You were humiliated. The wine signified the blessing of the Lord on the, on the event. So you ran out of wine. It almost seemed as if your wedding was cursed, right? So imagine now, this isn't just, okay, you ran out a little bit of wine. Okay, y'all, y'all make the, yeah. No, this is the faux pas of an entire area. And Cana was probably a concentrated, smaller community. Uh, it wasn't particularly rich people here, but everyone was going to talk. And here is the situation. Jesus is invited to the wedding. And it seems as if to me that when these five extra folks came, six counting Jesus, it caused complications. But let me flip the script for a second. How many of you know it was good Jesus was at your wedding, right? Because what looks like a problem, let me just say this, your problems become your platforms for your miracles, right? You won't go see the first sign because it says, I love this. It says that his disciples believed in him. Now they must have believed in him enough to walk with him, but maybe there are levels to this. Come on, touch somebody say there's levels to this. That when they saw the miraculous power of God, they go from a place of, we like this guy, we believe in this guy, we're going to follow him, to now these guys are willing to give their life, spill their blood for what they believe. They believe because they experience something of God, and I'm convinced God wants to give us this sign. Now, I think about what was it like for them to run out of wine. Think of, think of Mickey D's running out of Big Macs. Come on, somebody. Starbucks running out of lattes. Come on, somebody. Home Depot running out of nails and two by fours, right? I mean, this was extreme, but it's the first sign. And what does it show us? Because he's about to turn water to wine. Listen to me. Jesus's first sign, I believe will be the last sign, is that Jesus has the ability to change the normal expected outcome. Do you hear me? Jesus is the power that you look at the, where America's going. You look at the trends of the nations, you think it's going downhill, but can I tell you something? Can I tell you, I believe that if the church of God gets really desperate for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost, I'm convinced that we are going to see that God saves the best wine for last. I believe that we're going to see as Haggai that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And if the former house was a book of Acts, come on, somebody. How many of you know Jesus isn't going to come back for a church with less power than when she began? Jesus didn't get up on a cross and get up off the tomb, die on a cross, get up on the tomb on the third day for him to come down for a broke church that's begging to be raptured and get out of this thing. He's going to come back for an equally yoked bride walking in the juice, which is the anointing. All of a sudden, I love this because the first sign is a picture of Jesus that can change the normal outcome. He can change the ending as we know it. Here they are, and they're, they're beginning to drink the wine. People are beginning to drink the wine. Unless you think that it's a big drunk thing, I, much of the research I could come about in different ones is it, it was one of those things that for every part of wine, there was two to three parts water. And so it was watered down admittedly, right? So it wasn't, and it was, and amongst Jewish customs, it was an embarrassment. It was like, like 
borderline sacrilegious to get drunk at people's weddings and celebrations. So this is not some sort of givenness to just going out and getting drunk. And as the kids would say, wilding out, that's not the picture here, but somehow in the celebration, in the process of people that coming, the wine ran out. And I love Mary. How many of you know, mamas feel like they talk to their babies under any condition, right? Like you could be the president of Chevron, but gas went up to fire. Mama's calling you on the phone and say, you need to do something, baby. I know you're an executive Chevron. You need to lower the price of gas. How many of you know, mamas feel like they can get the babies when there's problems. So Mary goes to Jesus, knowing who Jesus is. She goes to Jesus and says the obvious, because how many of you know, Jesus is attuned to the situation. Mary says to Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus knew exactly what it was. He says, woman, you know, what does that have to do with me? And, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't translate well, but woman was the same way he referred to her when he was on the cross. It, it wasn't woman like we're saying, woman, you know, disrespect. Jesus is not going to disrespect his mom. But he's also saying up to this point, right, I've come underneath whatever it is you wanted me to do. But now as I'm segueing into this mantle of the Messiah, my first sign is not just what you want to do. It's what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. And the interesting thing is the Holy Spirit wanted the same thing Mary wanted. He didn't want this wedding to end with water when it should have been ending with wine. Let me tell you what, that wedding is a season in the church and the pots, because they were pots and we're talking about it, those pots are you and I, and I'm going to break this down in the brief moments we got left. The wine, somebody say the wine has run out. I think we know what it's like to run out, right? Inflation tells us we can run out of money before our bills are over. You can run out of sanity. You can run out of time, run out of options, run out of opportunities. We got people today that are running out of energy, running out of sanity. Come on out. We have people that literally are running out of treatment options at the end of a battle disease. We might run out and, and feel like options in a broken relationship are running out from us. Our joy runs out. Our peace runs out. Our witness runs out. Hello, Facebook rants during COVID. Our witness, our hunger for spiritual things run out. But we've got a God that though we live in a world of things running out, we got a God that can still turn water to wine. And the sign on the Pentecost Sunday is God runs in when other things run out. Oh, Lord, help me preach this thing. I love this thing because the thing I love about Mary is Mary comes clean with the situation. She says, we run out of wine. Uh, scholars tell us an additional thing I should throw out there is it's a very high probability Mary, because she's taking responsibility, is related to the people that are putting on the wedding. And so here she is saying, we run out of wine. You know what I, what I love about Mary is at least she came clean about the situation. She wasn't trying to mix up a little something, make some fake wine and put it out there. I think there's some people that we, we're not honest. We ran out of wine. If wine represents a fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost, we need some churches. We need some believers to get honest and say, I run out of wine. Let's look at it statistically. Look at, look at the behavioral patterns and the choices that North American Christians are making. Look at the place of the North American church. I'm not negative, or if I am, I'll only be negative for about two minutes longer. Then I'm going to get super positive. But I think we got to admit the wine ran out. When we see that a generation literally are driving past our Holy Ghost churches to go have like some sort of psychic experience, we got to admit maybe the wine ran out in the house, right? When we are dividing up, not you, 
obviously, I love the diversity here, but there are churches that are dividing over political lines, over racial lines, over melanin color levels in their, in their skin. And I'm thinking, the only explanation is we run out of wine, right? We, you wouldn't do that if you had wine in your church. If you had a free flow of the Holy Ghost, you'd be hugging your brothers that look different and sisters that look different than you. You wouldn't be dividing up over if you're on the left of the aisle, the right of the aisle. Truth be told, I'm not on the left or on the right. The Bible says I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm trying to get the holy perspective. I'm not trying to get caught up in partisanship. I'm serving the Prince of Peace. He's not in the White House, but he's on a white horse. And come on, we got to remember the one who's on the white horse. Faithful and true is written on his thigh. We run out of wine when we start dividing up over whether you're the donkey or the elephant. Come on, it's the line of the tribe of Judah. We need wine. We need an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When all of a sudden, we don't pray for the sick anymore. I've been in churches, don't pray for the sick anymore. This is Jesus' specialty. I know I'm losing my voice and it sounds like I'm yelling, but I'm just, I'm telling you, what happened to the wine when we can't pray for folks? What happened to the wine, right? When literally, you got to understand something. The baptism of the Holy Ghost brings so much joy. Come on, somebody. You ain't getting that at the end of no prescription. You ain't getting that at the end of no pipe or smoke or injection, there is a joy unspeakable. And the only reason why people who are believers are struggling some of these areas is his proof the wine has run out. Can we be honest and say like Mary, maybe we run out of wine. And then maybe us as leaders, maybe we've brought water to a wine moment. Water represents, obviously it represents spirit, but here it represents something very natural, Right? Maybe we brought the natural. Maybe our church services are more a reflection of man's nature than God's nature. We brought water to a wine moment. Maybe that's the reason. I noticed some folks say, I'm going to be so careful in this, Pastor Tom. I've got great friends. And, and if I could get real honest with them, I go, and they're wondering, how come we're not getting our people back? And I'm, I'm like, because you're not pouring the wine. You're pouring water. I'll stay at home and sip my latte and watch you online. But if you got the presence of God showing up in church, you, I'm talking about if I'm a nominal Christian and all you got is a nice service with a nice program, I'm going to stay at home and watch it. But if you got the Holy Ghost falling, if you got some community of believers, you got some worship that's experiential, I'm coming for the wine. I'll stay home if all you got is water. Don't bring that water to a wine moment. We used to say in the hood, some of y'all going to get this with me. Don't bring that gin. <laughs> don't bring that Kool-Aid to a gin party. Come on. That, that means if you're going to come, you got to bring something potent. It's time for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me say it like this. The greatest need for the spirit-filled moment, excuse me, the greatest need for the spirit-filled movement is to become spirit-filled again. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. I'm standing by it. On Pentecost Sunday, we need to get filled. You ran out of wine. Can you admit it? Can you admit my wine levels are low? in the context of this passage, wine. That, that somehow along the line, I've been doing kind of a watered down version of Christianity. When I need to wine up, I watered down. Mary was honest because she doesn't get her miracle. This doesn't happen. We're not talking about this if Mary doesn't get honest enough to say the wine has run out. Has the wine run out? I believe that they're Pentecostal churches. There comes a point in the movement of a church. There comes a point in the movement of a, even a Pentecostal denomination where they are either launched afresh by the initial dynamic that launched them or they fade 
into becoming a monument of what they once was. And what happens is the wine runs out. You run on the fumes of what you were at one point in time. And it's not just about a denomination or church. It's individuals. We can't live off just what God did 20 years ago. I thank God for my testimony. Don't get me wrong, but I can't live off what God did several decades ago. I need a fresh current outpouring. I need some fresh wine served now. Has the wine run out? Have you lost your joy? Is it now people are offending you now? Is it now it's them other folks? Why can't they get their life together? What's wrong with those people? Stop. How long ago were you that person? Everybody take a smile break. I'm too intense. Where's the compassion? You know, when you see a church, a church in general, that they're not having compassion on people. And oh man, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just going to say another thing. And, and I, I love your pastor because he gives me the freedom. I feel the freedom of him to say it. You know what? I'm all for people's ability to get arms and guns and that stuff. But hey, come on somebody. When you put the second amendment above the fifth commandment, something's wrong with that fifth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. So we need to have some restrictions. We need to have some background checks. Now everybody should be getting semi-automatic rifles. Come on, let's just say it. But it's amazing how Christians, it's like you value your guns more than you value them babies. That's just proof the wine must have run out. You shouldn't be fighting that kind of battle. Like, what can we do to protect our kids? If you're pro-life before coming out the womb, you need to be pro-life after the baby get out the womb too. Where's the wine at? Has the wine run out? Is that okay, pastor? Okay, pastor. Y'all still with me? All right, I got a good group here, y'all. Just touch somebody next to you and say, we're getting our wine. Come on, just touch somebody. What it is, is this. There's a need to acknowledge our lack, shortcoming, and dryness. And, and, and shortcoming, not like we're concentrating that we're not good enough. That's not what I'm talking about now at all. But what I am talking about is is that you have to recognize the vacuum in order for it to be filled. You have to recognize. You should understand this, Florida. Come on, Floridians. You know how they predict hurricanes? Y'all have had some hurricanes. Y'all even give your hurricanes names, and we all name them with you, right? They, I heard this meteorologist one time, I think it was on Larry King Live back in the day, and he was talking about how they could predict the, 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 the ferocity of hurricanes. And you know what they predicted on? The exact opposite. Like a hurricane is, a, is an abundance of winds. They predict the fierceness of a hurricane based on the lack of what it actually brings. In other words, when they have a barometric drop, there's an uh, absence of winds. And in the absence of this vacuum, it pulls centrifugal forces around. And, and, and so what, what I'm saying is this. You can predict the severity of the hurricane based on the exact opposite before it ever comes. Could it be that a hurricane of revival will come because we've had the exact opposite vacuum go on, but there has to be an acknowledgement, Lord, fill me. Feel me. I can't be the same Christian I was in 2020. I can't. I, people are trying to get back to normal. I'm trying to get back to normal. I'm trying to get up to God's normal. I want revival. Unless you had revival, if you had revival post Mark 17, 2020, then get back to it. But if you didn't have revival, revival, you shouldn't be trying to get back to that. You should be trying to move ahead and acknowledge we need new wine. We got to have a fresh outpouring. There needs to be a move of God. Here is what happens. 
I think sometimes it's embarrassing for people to express their lack because we're told we should be full and it's embarrassing. So you know what some believers do? Okay, I'm going there. We fake fullness. That's the absolute worst place to be. Don't fake fullness. Acknowledge, I need more. I got I to, gotta, man, I've seen people say, I, we've had some people in our meetings say, I got I to gotta touch God. I have to have a word from the Lord. God, I got to experience. They've come and God has always honored that. And it's been amazing what God's doing. Now I'm going to fast forward this right now and take you to this thing. I love this. When they said to Jesus, Mary said, run out of wine. He says, go get those six pots. The number six is the number representing man. Obviously, the Antichrist would be 666. Six is the number of man. These pots represent us. And they were, I can, I can give you a long description. I can give you a quick one. They were the Purell, okay? You know, you get the hand sanitizer. These were purification pots in which they would come and people would wash themselves right? As they're coming in to eat. And some of them, even in between each serving, they would wash. Some of them were ceremonial. Some of them were religious. And some of them, they were walking on dusty roads. All they got is a little flat sandal, leather strips across it. They're walking on like stuff cattle is releasing. If it's, if it's sunny day, it's dusty. If it's rainy, it's muddy. And so they have all this. So Jesus says, go fill these ceremonial washing pots Perel dispensers at the front of the door, fill them full of water. Let me just say to you, the pathway to your miracle sometimes doesn't make sense to you. God asks you to do something with what you have to produce something you haven't got yet. He's asking you to be a part of your miracle. God, I want you to save Junior. I want you to bring our little baby girl back to Jesus. Lord, I want you to heal my marriage. But there's a part for you and I to participate in. Right? Even when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he tells the people, y'all roll the stone away. How many of you know, he could have pointed at the boulder, did like this, that thing would have moved up like a Jedi mind trick, right? Like, and it came back down. But no, he wanted them to remove the stone before he called Lazarus forth because you got to part. You got to remove the stone to get your Lazarus's back. How many of you give me five minutes? All I need is about five minutes. Five, okay, I got five more minutes, Amen. Here is what you have to be thinking. When Jesus tells you to fill your water pots with water, here's what you're thinking. That's not our problem, Jesus. We don't need water. We need wine. We need wine. And it says that they did it. They filled it full of water. It wasn't the cleanest water. It wasn't the best water. They filled it full of water. They filled it to the brim, which lets me know they heartily did everything Jesus asked them, and they didn't go halfway. They filled it to the brim. Six water pots each of them, what we would consider 20 to 30 gallons. So 180 gallons of water. I don't care. It, it, 180 gallons. We're not talking about bottles of wine. We're talking 180 gallons of wine in a moment. How many of you know we could, man, all of Fort Lauderdale, come on, on a, on a spring breakaway weekend, they could all get wine at this event, right? And Jesus calls them together. And I love this. When all everyone else saw was water, Jesus saw the solution to the Canaan crisis. He asked them to get water. And if I can get my brother to come. As they get full of water, I'm, I'm reading this. And it wasn't like when they poured the water in and immediately became wine. 
I don't know how these pots are big. It probably took multiple people. I don't know how they did it, but somehow they're bringing this water, right? And probably dipped it or whatever. But I think in the process of that, you have to be willing to carry the natural in order to come into the supernatural. You got to be willing to do that. You got to be able to walk in faith and go, I, I know I'm told that God was going to give me this breakthrough. I know that God told me to give uh, this amount to tie to, to the church and what God's doing in the ministry and the outreach. I know God's told me, I don't seem to have a lot of time, but I know God wants me to volunteer and help at the church. You got to be willing to carry what's natural in order to get to the supernatural. As you read the passage, it would seem as if the water became wine as the head waiter tasted it. And here's what he arrives at. And man, I'm telling you, oh man, it's what I call the unseen intervention. And you know what? What those six pots represented was the law. It represented all the ceremonial stuff that the Old Testament and, and the Judaic practices and now the Pharisees and Sadducees, all they're doing. And God, only Jesus, he's saying, I'm going to do the miracle in your washing pots, which means y'all can't wash in the washing pots because it's too pretty serving joy to folks at the, at the, at the celebration and he's joy. And as this head waiter is drinking it, he says, every other wedding, this dude was probably the wine connoisseur bibber or whatever. He said, every other wedding, they serve the best wine in the beginning. And when everyone else is well drunk, that's when they bring out the more watered down version. But this wedding, Y'all save the best wine for last. But remember something. It was the water to wine. And we can applaud Jesus all day long. Five of his disciples says they believed. But remember, it didn't say, John didn't say this was a miracle. It's a whole different word, Simeon. It's a whole different word when he says sign. It's a sign. So isn't this a miracle? A sign. You're out on the street. Sign points, right? Here is CLC. Here is Fort Lauderdale Airport. You follow the sign. It points to something. What the sign is saying is a nature of God that everyone else does the best they could do in the beginning. And that athlete, as the career goes on, there's, it begins to be a dip. There begins to be a drop off no matter who you are. That's, Hey man, initially this happens. And then man, and people begin to believe, man, I remember back in the day, my energy, my vim, man, my, my, my excitement, man, all this. But in God, the sign is, is that God saves the best wine for last. So what's that telling me? is whatever they saw in 120 in the upper room at Pentecost, whatever those people that filled that, that livery, I guess that you would call it, on Azusa Street, where Azusa Street Revival, One-Eyed Black Man, W.J. Seymour, and, and there was many others, Frank Barterman, a white intercessor, they partnered and saw an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and the nations of the world gathered. You would see a, a, a Native American next to an Asian American, next to a Latin American, next to a Euro American, next to an African American, all laying out at the Azusa Street. Whatever they saw, the sign of this miracle is a sign that God is going to upstage that with even more. So let me tell you, the worst thing you could be, and I, I came here, if you don't get anything else, please get this. The worst place you and I could be is to suck on the devil's bottle of despair and think it's gotten bad because what you do is you lower your expectancy to just making it. I don't want to just make it. I want the devil and his demons to get up in the morning and just make it. I want to get up believing I'm going to live to see something. It's getting worse. I feel sorry for my kids. I feel sorry for my kids' kids. No, no, no. Don't, don't put that on your kids. 
Let them believe what the Bible says. Tell your kids, baby, save your fork. Grandma made some peach cobbler. You about to get something better. Like, like whatever we saw, I tried to put in my kids. I, I wish I could be around to see the things you're going to see. You're going to see even greater. Jesus said the works he did, you'll do and greater. It's the thought of the kingdom that the path of the just is like the, the bright shining sun that shines ever brighter in that perfect day. That God has a revival. And let me tell you what, on Pentecost Sunday, it begins with you and I. Because all revivals look for real estate in order to operate. First piece of real estate God's looking for, left center cavity of your chest. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, Lord, I just thank you, God. All across this place, Lord, there's a phenomenal group of people. And that God, maybe there's somebody here that says, hey, man, the wine's run out. The joy's run out. Man, my initial fervency to go after God, that thing that would keep me at an altar for a long time, that thing that would get me on my face, that thing that caused me to say, God, Lord, have every part of me. Somewhere along the line, it got watered down. And now the water, the wine's run out and it's just water. And I need the water to become wine again. God, you're here to do it. If you're here right now, you're watching online, you have not given your life to Christ. Let me sim simply begin by saying this. There has never, ever in the history of humanity ever been a good time to be without God, to be without Jesus. But there's never been a worse time to be without Jesus than right now. Let me say that again. There has never been a good time to be without Jesus, but there's never been a worse time to be without Jesus than right now. Jesus didn't just die to get you to heaven. He died to get heaven into you. Just like the devil wants to give you hell to go to hell on, Jesus wants to give you to heaven to go to heaven on. And let me tell you what, it's run dry. But in the world, you just stay empty. You fake a fullness. You do whatever you can to kind of put on the facade. But the good news is that many people put on a facade, not so much because they're fake. It's because deep down inside, they have no hope that it could ever change. So I've got to learn to live with what I've got, the limited stuff I've got that runs out and everything in this world. The Bible lets us know that, that man, everything around us has an expiration date. It's running out except for the word of God in your soul. When the two come together, something eternal is birth. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He says, the fact that your heart yearns for what earth cannot supply is proof that heaven must be your home. Heaven is your home. That's why you hunger for love that lasts. That's why you want a thrill and a joy and something meaningful that is not just momentary. You buy that thing and the, and the excitement and the novelty of having it wears off. Then you got to buy something else. And there are people out in the world that, man, they'll get in a relationship and when they get used to that person, they got to go get another relationship and another because it wears off because they don't have within them that which is eternal, that which is not just natural water, but supernatural wine. If you're here right now, you say, Sean, pray for me. Pray with me. I need to give my life to the Lord. I need to come back to Jesus. I'm tired of being made to hurt. I want to know heaven's mind. I want to know what it's like to get this oppression, depression. I want to know what it's like to have victory over this bondage. I want to believe that there's hope in a hopeless time. And I'm telling you, the answer is yes to all of the above and is found in Jesus. Only in Christianity, at the other end of your confession, comes a new life. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app 
or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.